This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we begin our journey through the Babylonian prophets, examining the famous weeping prophet, Jeremiah. That's right. Babylonian prophets. We've been through, let's see, on our graph, our diagram, we had five sections of prophetic history. We've been through the first two now. Remind me of the first one, Brent. Pre-Assyrian prophets. Pre-Assyrian. We had, uh, let's Kind of gives it away what the second one is, but... Uh, well, yeah, it's a good hint anyway. And then, uh, so so we had four prophets in pre-Assyrian, two to Israel and two to Judah. Who did we have in Israel go backwards? Oh, backwards? Yeah. Well, first Isaiah and Micah. Okay, so those are the ones to Judah. You went oh. really backwards. Oh, oh, I threw oh. you two curves. Sorry, I went all the way to the bottom. Yeah, no, I like that. So backwards... Hosea and Amos. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So, okay, let's throw, let's, let's get back to normal, regular, not backwards land. But so we had Amos and, uh, and Hosea, they were, uh, our Israel prophets. And then we had our two Judah ones. You said were who? Uh, Judah was Micah and first Isaiah. Micah and first Isaiah. We'll talk about images here in just a moment. Um, and then we had after the pre-Assyrian, like you said, not a, not a, some the, rocket science. The Assyrian prophets. The Assyrian prophets. We have four of them. How many to Israel and how many to Judah? A couple each. A couple each again. And who are our Israel prophets? Uh, let's see. Jonah and the other side Nahum. Of the coin. Nahum. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And then we had two Judah prophets. Who were they? Mm, something in Second Isaiah. Yeah. That's something. Something. That's something. Kind of something. Zephaniah. Zephaniah. That's right. <laughs> I did have some listeners recently explain to me how they like it when you grill me on the podcast. So <laughs> this is good fodder, I guess. There you go. I like that too. Uh, I met some people around the country. Some of them wanted to meet the great, illustrious Brent Billings. I said, sometime we'll travel together. I I would love to travel. If anyone wants to fly me out, I'm willing to come. <laughs> Oh, man. That's funny. Uh, Recently came back from a trip. I guess by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be weeks ago, but uh, met a whole bunch of you that listen around the country. It was so cool to meet new faces and uh, people that I just never knew before, but they knew me and they knew our podcast. So thanks for being a part of the Bema community. Anyway, we are past pre-Assyrian prophets. We are past Assyrian prophets, and today we start into what we call the Babylonian prophets. And just a reminder, we, we say this every now and then, there's always debates and there's always different ways of labeling prophetic history. So some people will call um, pre-Assyrian Babylonian prophets. Some people will call uh, post-Assyrian Babylonian prophets. Like, there's all kinds of different labels. But for here, we call them pre-Assyrian. Some people call it pre-Babylonian. Uh, we call it Assyrian and we call it Babylonian. The next two will be exilic and remnant are the two other sections we'll deal with. But today we begin our journey into the Babylonian prophets. We're going to have five. We've had four pre-Assyrian. We've had four Assyrian. We're going to have five Babylonian prophets. Um, the first one's going to be Jeremiah. So we're going to deal with today. Uh, so a few just random thoughts before we dive into some, uh, text here. Um, one of those would be a, a, just a total PS, uh, but we'll just throw it. We'll just throw it out there and get it out of the way. Uh, one of the things that I've always found an interesting little tidbit is Jeremiah is the prophet that seems to be incredibly dedicated to things of nature. 
So if you're, if you're, you know, wrestling biblical text and you're thinking, oh, golly, there was that one passage about a tree or there was that one prophet. I know there was that one prophecy and it involved uh, an animal or uh, it's likely if you were to take a stab in the dark, if it's a tree or an animal or something of nature, uh, there's a good chance that Jeremiah would be a really good guess. Jeremiah deals with those uh, issues a lot more than uh, than any other uh, prophet, uh, as far as, as things of nature just kind of combined. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to find, not that you won't find them somewhere else. Habakkuk's going to talk about the feet of a deer. Uh, so it's not always going to apply, but good chance if it's talking about nature, Jeremiah is your guy, uh, to talk about there. Let's see a couple other things. Uh, Jeremiah's, um, well, we have our images. Let's deal with the images and get them out of the way. We, we've talked about how every uh, prophet has an image, either an image that they employ in their writings or maybe an image that drives their, uh, maybe they, they're involved in a more street theater uh, type uh, prophetic movement or some kind of guerrilla movement in that way. Um, they have uh, themes that drive images that drive their prophecies. So let's go back and review our images here, Brent. Let's see Amos. Amos was the plum line and ripe fruit. Plum line, ripe fruit, ripe basket, ripe fruit, ripe for God's destruction, or a plum line measuring the wall. How about Hosea? Hosea was the prostitute. The prostitute. Uh, Micah? Is judge. Judge. Uh, first Isaiah? Uh, warning. Not no, sorry, vineyard. Vineyard. Okay. Uh, and then Jonah? Jonah was uh, potential. Potential. We had a Hebrew word for Nahum. Dean. Dean. We had another Hebrew word for Zephaniahu. Uh, to Shuva. Shuva, which means, uh, what does that mean? Return. Return. Repent or return. It's a word we usually translate with repent. And we had second Isaiah, which was... Is that the warning one? Almost. No, that's woe. Woe, right? Woe. So we got woe on second Isaiah. The image for Jeremiah is going to be weeping when we do our review and discussion group or on podcast. So Jeremiah's image is, a, a, is an image of weeping. Really, it's, it's, it's impossible to choose one image in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a huge... A prophetic book spans many chapters, not quite as long as Isaiah as a whole, but remember we're breaking Isaiah up into four parts. So as far as uh, taking an entire prophet in one podcast, this is a daunting task we have here today. And Jeremiah employs a million images, Um, not literally, but he employs a lot. And it would be really hard to just pick one and say, that's the image of Jeremiah. But uh, throughout biblical teaching, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. We call him the weeping prophet because uh, his call was one, um, he, he was given a daunting task. In fact, at one point in Jeremiah, he says, um, he's crying out to God and he says, uh, you, uh, you seduced me, God. And I was seduced, um, is the word he uses in the Hebrew. You wooed me, you, you fooled me. I, I thought I was signing up for this glorious, calling of being a prophet. I thought it was going to be this great grand thing. And instead, uh, I found out it was this unbelievable hard call because God tells Jeremiah, you have to bring the message that I tell you to bring and people aren't going to like it. Um, Jeremiah's message could be boiled down. I wrote some notes down here. Um, Let's see here. Jeremiah's message is simple. You have failed to repent. God's discipline is here. The best move for all of you would be to lay down your weapons and head into captivity. There will be much less bloodshed that way. Like one of the things that Jeremiah is trying to communicate to his audience is, 
like the time for repentance has passed. Like that was pre-Assyrian, that was Assyrian days, but those days are over and Babylon is here and there's going to be no winning this. You're not going to turn the tide. This is what God's telling you. At this point, your discipline is here. The best thing to do is just accept it and humble yourselves and let this thing run its course because there's going to be no turning back. We're going to have no Hezekiah moment. Uh, here in Jeremiah. And that is a hard message to bring because people don't want to hear it. And Jeremiah spans this huge breadth of time. So he's prophesying before Babylon gets there. He's prophesying as Babylon gets there. He's prophesying as Babylon is there. He's prophesying after Babylon gets done. He's prophesying as everybody gets carted off to Babylon. He So we've got a whole bunch of time covered uh, in the prophecy of of Jeremiah. But during out this whole this whole time he has to keep giving this message. In fact, uh, Jeremiah is so pro Babylon, you might say. Like his message is just surrender. Like lay lay down your fighting, lay down your arms and just head to captivity. That message is so pro Babylon that when Babylon gets there, they actually leave Jeremiah behind rather than cart him off to captivity. With all the people that are left behind, they're like, hey, this guy, this guy's on our side. So we're just going to leave him here and let him do his thing. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, turn of events. It's a, it is a hard call. It's not one that's going to win him many friendships or get him a lot of accolades. So Jeremiah ends up being known uh, as the uh, weeping prophet. Now, one more, maybe a couple more things before um, we move into looking at some text. Jeremiah spans this huge breadth of history. It is a lot of chunks, um, little bits and pieces, maybe a little bit of story here, maybe a prophecy there. Uh, a lot of little, the word of the Lord came to me. Here you go. The word of the Lord came to me. Here we go. It is a lot of history being spanned and kind of a collection And really, if you read Jeremiah, it ends up being a recollection because at one point the scroll gets burned. Uh, We are told about the scribe. His name is Baruch. And Baruch, his job is to write down uh, everything that Jeremiah tells him to write. I would assume he probably follows Jeremiah around, almost like a little pet journalist, a note taker. Uh, listening to all the different messages that he gives, and he jots them all down, catalogs them. We don't know exactly how it all gets packaged or why, if there's a method to the madness. But he has a scribe, and his job is to take the messages, record them, and and be able to put them out, uh, particularly in a collection, a scroll. There is a book I would recommend. Uh, there is a guy by the name of Alan Rabinowitz. And Alan helped us lead a trip uh, once in the past, Um, And he had a really great grasp of this period of history. He loved the book of Jeremiah, uh, and he wrote a little historical fiction book. And I loved it. It's not not a a riveting piece of literature. But if you like historical fiction, it really helped me get a grasp and understand and appreciate the prophecy of Jeremiah uh, a lot more. And I just really loved how he put that together. So it's it's $4.00. Uh, I believe it's an ebook only. You looked it up, right, Brent? Yeah, ebook only. Ebook only on Kindle. Uh, it's f- whopping four dollars for this book, um, and it's a hefty book. You said three hundred some odd pages. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just like four dollars for forty pages. We're talking four dollars for, and it's a fun. It's a fun read if you're into that kind of thing. It's called the Disciple Scroll. So the, the Disciple Scroll by Alan Rabinowitz. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. 
and just something that I recommend uh, taking a look at to understand things a little bit better. So anyway, I, I say we dive into some text and wrap this thing up. Let's do it. All right. We got a little bit of text. Not a lot, but a little. Uh, Jeremiah starts off. I want to go through maybe the first few, just kind of flip through some of the first few chapters here of Jeremiah. Again, it's really hard. Like, how how do you do Jeremiah in in one you know twenty minute discussion? How do you how do you choose which parts? There's fifty chapters here. There's a lot going on. But uh, Jeremiah starts off. Um, it talks about his call, and then all of a sudden in chapter two, one of my favorite passages. I think we talked about this back in session one when we talked about the desert. We referenced this, but the word of the Lord came to me: Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. So chapter 2 starts in, and, and Jeremiah employs this image that we talked about in session 1 with Torah and the book of Exodus and this marriage and then a desert honeymoon in the book of Numbers. Uh, Jeremiah is employing a lot throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah. He's going to talk about God's people as a bride and God as their lover. Um, Midway through chapter two, let's see here. Uh, Where should I? Well, obviously, man, you could could look at... uh, uh, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. As you're reading Jeremiah, you're going to notice that Jeremiah sees everything through the lens of covenant relationship. The key thing, that the key problem for Jeremiah is you have broken relationship with God. It's not about abstract theological concepts or or just pure idolatry as an abstract idea, or even injustice as a concept. It's about a relationship. You are God's bride, and you've broken relationship. It uh, goes on, let's see here, uh, a little bit later, I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 20. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds, and you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, and the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. How can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the bales? See how you have behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her. Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you say it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, uh, their priests and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. So which uh, source do we got here? Um, is this going to be the idolatry or the injustice? Injustice. Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think here? What do you think here? I don't know. I hear a lot of broken relationship. Uh, I hear a lot of I have not ha, have I I have not run after the bales, 
see oh, how you true. behave yeah. in the valley. And then, uh, and then what we just read there, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me. Sounds to me like we've got really clear references to idolatry to begin here. Okay, all right. There's a little source A going on here. I want to I throw source A some love. Right. I'm so I'm so pro source B. I thought source B was kind of the default. I know it is. But you've got to be honest, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, let's see where I live. Uh, they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, Come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For as you have many gods, for you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. Why do you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured uh, your prophets like a ravening lion. You of this generation consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornament? There's that image again, bride her wedding ornaments. Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number, how skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. On your clothes men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor. Uh-oh. So we just have a reference to source. Source B. Source B, out of nowhere. Yet in spite of all this, you say, I'm innocent. He is not angry with me, but I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will be helped. You will not be helped by them. Last little bit. Let's see here. I'm jumping ahead to chapter 3, verse 14. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never again, in their, it will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. For in those days, the house of Judah will join the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. This this talk of broken covenant, really, I am your husband. You were my bride. Uh, one of the driving images that's going to carry through the prophecy of Jeremiah. And of course, we could just, golly, I just want to keep reading, but that would be like, you know, five hours from now, we'd get to the next section. So how about we jump ahead? Perhaps I can offer something from chapter seven. Uh, I would love that. How about you read us the first, uh, what do we got, 11 verses or so? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where source comes out ahead here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there pro- proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Well, first of all, let me just stop you. Can you imagine having to do this? God says, go up to the gates of the temple and give this prophecy. So just 
is forget like just reading it as the prophecy. Imagine Jeremiah having to go and Baruch having to stand next to him, like shaking as he writes this down, as he stands in front of the gate, in front of corrupt priests and false prophets. Anyway, go ahead. Keep it. Keep going. Uh, so all you people of Judah come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and Uh do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder? Commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Ooh, that passage might come up later too. Whole den of robbers thing. A little extra credit. Mm-hmm. I might hear some Jesus in there, but mm-hmm. alas, I digress. Um, so we got some B and some A. We definitely do. And what you'll notice here is that Jeremiah combines the two. And so at this point in the podcast, I've been doing this whole tongue-in-cheek throughout the pre-Assyrian and Assyrian prophets. Which source is it? Source A, source B. And we've definitely had some of both, but I feel like one's been winning. Which one is that, Brent? Uh, mostly source B. But... All right. And so I, I kind of proved my point, or didn't prove my point, but I've made my point. I'll let you decide if I proved it or not, but I've made my point. At this point, we're going to put that fun little tongue-in-cheek reference to rest because Jeremiah does a wonderful job of pulling both of these together. You don't pick. It's not source A or source B. It's really the two together. And in the passage you just read, Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11, you really see Jeremiah has, I mean, Jeremiah 1 through 3 was very much driven by a concern about idolatry. There were a few references to injustice, but he really has a concern about idolatry. Now in Jeremiah 7, he's really drumming on false religion and the fact that that our, our their religious devotion isn't producing a care for others. It's not producing mishpah. It's not producing justice. But then he connects it right there quite uh, deliberately in verse 9 to their idolatry because... Their idolatry is what's driving their injustice. Uh, it's been a couple different references to the Baals. I mean, does Baal care about, uh, does he invite people to trust the story? Does Baal ask people to look out for the needs of other people? Absolutely not. I mean, Baal's concerned about profit and well-being. Baal is the god of agricultural fertility, um, commerce, economy. Uh, it's definitely not concerned with other people. What about Asherahs? Asherah, Jeremiah is going to talk about how they spread themselves before all the Asherah poles. Are the Asherah, is Asherah going to be concerned about other people? Probably not. Probably not. We got it. the idolatry that they, let's go, let's go to our, our, our world. Let's get a little personal here. How about the God of consumerism? Think about the idols we bow down to in our world, our world, the God of consumerism. Brent, does the God of consumerism invite us to care about other people? Uh, not not too much. Not too much. Occasionally, uh, you know, you'll have uh, something like a Tom's or a Warby Parker okay. where you buy something uh, and, uh, and this, a second 
whatever you bought goes right. to someone else in need. Right. Somebody trying to infiltrate this consumeristic world with maybe a little bit of conscience, but generally speaking, the God go of consumerism. You go to Walmart, you buy a bag of chips, and nobody else is getting chips. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I'm usually buying chips quite cheaply at the expense of other people. We've talked about that before, I believe, on our podcast in session one. Like, our empire, our, our idolatry comes at a cost. Uh, the gods of greed, the god of security. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get political, but I, I think of the whole conversation that just continues to come in and go out and re- be revived about refugees. Uh, if you bow down to the god of your own self-security, it's going to come at the expense of the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Um, and we're going to have uh, all of a sudden a problem. Idolatry feeds the injustice. If we were to talk about the God of comfort or the God of leisure, what does that come at the expense of? Our idolatry is directly connected to our injustice. And injustice feeds our idolatry. And it becomes this catch-22, which is why God tried to teach us in Deuteronomy to reverse that. and Do a reverse catch-22. Uh, you can do the exact opposite, which is look out for the alien, the orphan, the widow, and let them remind you of the appropriate story and the appropriate, maybe what James would call pure and undefiled religion, rather than the false religion that we see here in Jeremiah. So so that's one. Um, and man, we could just keep going, but there is something that shows up, let's see here, in chapter 7. I'm going to jump down to the end. Chapter 7. Uh, verse 30 is a little section, if you have subtitles, probably calls it the Valley of Slaughter. There's an idea that, um, uh, well, before I even read it, there's this idea about hell. Now, it's going to be a while. We're going to get, we're going to talk about hell later, mainly because hell doesn't show up in the Old Testament. Uh, it's not a word that shows up in Hebrew. Uh, it's a word that shows up in the Greek. The word is used 12 times. 11 of them are used by Jesus. So Jesus is the one that really spends all of his time talking about hell. Um, one That'll of the things be we'll, session three when we get to that. Uh, yes, session three. Yep, we'll start. But we'll, we'll introduce some of those thoughts here because uh, it's a big conversation. To understand hell from a Jewish perspective and a contextual perspective, um, uh, in the first century, Jesus talking about hell, the word is Gehenna. Gehenna would not have conjured up images of eternal destination of a place where everybody goes when they die if they're on the wrong side and they burn for all of eternity. Hell was an actual place. The word hell, Gehenna, actually comes from a Hebrew phrase, Gehenom. Gehenom would be Valley of Hinnom, Valley of Hinnom, and it's a, it was an actual valley outside of Jerusalem. Um, obviously, the famous, most recent conversation about this is in, uh, here's another book you can throw on there, uh, Love Wins by Rob Bell, The Big Controversy. Uh, this is when all the controversy started, but he, he talked at length, uh, about hell, Gehenna, uh, what was Gehenna? Um, you can also put his, uh, the other book, if we want to represent the whole conversation, which I do, I like wrestling. So let's represent the other side. Francis Chan wrote a book, uh, called Erasing Hell. We can send a link to that too. Uh, of course I'm about ready to talk about that book here, but nevertheless, we'll put a link to it anyway, because um, I want everybody to be able to read the whole conversation. So he he responded to this and talked about how we have no archaeological evidence that the Valley of Hinnom was actually uh, a, a trash dump or that any of this stuff actually existed, which technically is true. Uh, we drove through the Valley of Hinnom last summer. Brent was full of houses. <laughs> 
why we don't have a bunch of archaeological evidence. That's uh, not a place where we're doing a bunch of archaeological digs. We don't usually pay a lot of money to uh, dig in the trash dump. Um, that's not typically something we're going to move houses and, and buy property to do a bunch of, of digging there. Um, not that archaeology is very sexy in any form, but that it's definitely not right. That sexy is, archaeology. That's right. That's probably not where we're going to spend all of our time. Of all the things we're going to try to dig up in Jerusalem, as crowded as it is already, uh, that probably ain't going to be where we spend a bunch of our time. But he had another problem that he never really dealt with. As Chan talked about that and talked about the lack of evidence, what he didn't deal with was the biblical references to exactly what um, historians tell us existed. The trash dump in the Valley of Hinnom, it shows up right here in Jeremiah, whether Jeremiah is foretelling it or whether Jeremiah is written late enough to understand that's what's happening. However you want to view that, uh, I want to read the passages here because um, this is what Chan never dealt with in his book. And the Bible talks about this. Uh, the people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declared the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Tophet. Tophet was the ancient word for the valley of, you'll see that later here in a moment. Uh, the valley of Ben-Hanom, it's going to be called. But the other word they had for it was Tophet. They have built the high places of Tophet in the valley of Ben-Hanom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Tophet or the Valley of Ben-Hanom, but the Valley of Slaughter. For they will bury the dead in Tophet until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will come... Uh, I, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness to the voices of bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. At that time, at that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and prophets, and the bones of the prophets of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves. They will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of heaven, which they have loved and served and which they have followed and consulted and worshiped. They will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like refuse lying on the ground. Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. A, a picture, a prophecy, uh, a teaching about the valley of Ben-Hanon, Gehenna, hell, and this trash dump. Uh, and it's not the only reference we'll look at. But if we keep flipping through. What that got? was the end of chapter 7, right? That was the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. I read 7.30 through 8.3 is what I read there. Now, I think you have our next reference. Like if we were flipping through, we don't want to just flip past Jeremiah 17. I mean, we're going to. But remember, we talked about that in session 1 in the desert. We talked about the Arar bush. That's another passage that's going to come up with some Jesus references. Jeremiah is going to be really important. If you want to understand your Jesus... I recommend reading you some Jeremiah, because there's going to be a lot of references from Jesus referencing the book of Jeremiah. So uh, chapter 17, 16, 17, going to be a big deal. But I think you have a reference from 19. Brent, do you have that? 19, yeah, starting in verse 10. 
Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching. It's... Okay, so I need to probably set this up. Oh, okay. Because we haven't broken the jar. Like, well, I'll break the jar. So God tells Jeremiah, I need you to do some guerrilla theater. I need you to, you're going to take part in some street theater here in order to prophesy. So I want you to take a big jar. I want you to take it out in front of the people and you're going to break the jar. And so that's, the, you're going to shatter this jar as a symbol, as an image of what, what I'm going to do. So go ahead and pick up where you started. Uh, then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Tophet until there is no more room. Okay, there's that same reference, that same valley. This is what I will do to this place and to those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city like Tophet, the houses in Jerusalem, and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place, Tophet. All the houses where they burned incense on the roofs to all the starry hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Jeremiah then returned from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them, because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out as we go past that, because eventually we're going to get to session three. Eventually we're going to start talking about uh, hell, and we're going to get into this conversation. And for some of us, we've heard it, we've studied it, we've read it. We're going to be good. We're going to be ready to, to, to rock and move on. And then there's going to be some of us that have never heard this. It's going to be brand new information. And I want to make sure we haven't missed some of the references that existed even centuries before Jesus is going to talk about it, which is there is a place outside of Jerusalem uh, where... Um, they 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 made it into a trash dump because Jeremiah said, God is going to make this area desolate. It was this valley that you used to burn your children to Molech in. You used to engage in idolatry here. And I'm going to turn this, I so hate the garbage that goes on here, that I'm going to turn it into a garbage dump. And so later in their history, after they returned from Babylon, it's exactly what they did. They turned that area into the garbage dump. And Jesus uses that as his driving image for what is hell. Hell is the utter desolation of choosing to not be a part of what God's doing. And it's going to be a very present image, a very present tense image. But we'll talk about that more later. Didn't want to miss the opportunity to set it up here as we walked past it in Jeremiah. But nevertheless, I got one more thing. Man, there's, we're, only, we're only going to get through the first half of the book. And then we'll move on to the next book in our next podcast. But... Um, so much more we could talk about. But Jeremiah 25 uh, is a prophecy of um, uh, Israel, uh, Judah's captivity. Um, and I wanted to read that and then, uh, and then show a connection in another place that we've already examined. So Jeremiah 25, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Yoshiyahu, Josiah, king of Judah, uh, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem for 23 years, from the 13th year of uh, Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all of his servants and prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods or serve or worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made, and then I will 
not harm you, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with the hands with your hands you have made, for you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples to the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of... Now, what's always included in every prophet, Brent? Hope. A little bit of hope. A little bit. When the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon... That land, all the things I have spoken against it, and all that are written on this book and prophesied in Jeremiah, but prophesied by Jeremiah against the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Um, so Jeremiah says, this is what's coming. Here's the captivity. And as you read this in Jeremiah, you really get the impression that you know, you didn't listen. You, you you didn't listen to my warning. God sent you other prophets and you didn't listen. They said, don't worship other gods. Don't worship other gods. Don't, don't turn your hearts away, but you did. And so because you haven't done what God said, and so it feels kind of very source A, but I really want to show you the combination of source A and source B. There's a reference to this prophecy in the book of Second Chronicles, which we said was written much later. Um, and it's, we're going to prove that it's written later because he's going to, Chronicles, the chronicler, is going to reference the prophecy of Jeremiah. And you have that verse. It comes just a few verses before the very end of Second Chronicles, which remember, that's going to be the very end of the whole Hebrew scriptures. It's the very end of Tanakh. Um, but just a few verses from the end, you have a couple verses. Uh, what do you have? 36, uh, 20, and 21. Second Chronicles 36, 20, and 21. Go ahead and read those. Let's see what it says about this period of captivity. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Okay, now referencing this passage, Chronicles says that the land got its what, Brent? Its Sabbath rest. Its Sabbath rest. Um, And what I find so interesting is Chronicles, which we said was written later with all kinds of what, Brent? With perspective. Perspective. And now with all perspective, Chronicles again, again, for the umpteenth time, uh, has brought perspective to this conversation and said that the key issue was Sabbath rest and justice. We had disrupted shalom. And, and in this case, Chronicles connects it to the, to the land itself, not just people themselves, but people as they would be a part of the land. Like the whole land was not given, apparently, they weren't observing their Sabbath years. They weren't observing Shemitah. They weren't observing the year of Jubilee. They weren't doing some of the things that really pushed for economic justice, looking out for those on the bottom. They weren't doing those things. And so Chronicles adds perspective to what we're reading in Jeremiah and kind of shines light on, again, this combination between their idolatry and the injustice. 
And so that's one of the things that I really wanted to hammer as we looked at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, has to give this, and I don't think we'd ever find this. God's people will never find a Jeremiah message, a fun message. They're never going to listen to it and go, yeah, fist pump. Tell us some more. It's a hard message to bring. It's a hard message to confront God's people with there. With sin and an impending, unchangeable, inevitable, imminent doom. But that was Jeremiah's job. So there we have it. All right. Well, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with Jeremiah. Whew, man. How'd we do? 40 minutes. Good little ditty right there. And we covered half of it. Yeah. Ish. Covered half. Barely. We barely. I mean, we kind of like skipped across the first half. Yeah. So get in a discussion group. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, we've got them here on the Plus. We've got them around the country. You can find uh, details about that at BamaDiscipleship.com. We've got a map. If there's not one in the area, you're welcome to start one. We'll help you out with that. Get a hold of us one way or the other. Uh, you can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. You can contact us through the website. You can find the Baymont Discipleship Facebook page. There's all sorts of ways. Get in touch. We want to help help you guys wrestle through this. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon.